0: Well, it was good to see. There's a lot of love in this room, man. I I love our our Wednesday group so much. Just that uh, we get to get, get to be together here. We get to worship and receive the Word, and uh, just kind of it sets a fire in my heart. You know, it just sometimes I think when you're in the world, it just just almost takes the fire right out of you, but just being together just it just reignites that passion in us and and um I just love the worship here. I love that we're a worshiping church. I was just standing back there and just listening to you guys sing, and I hope you guys realize there's power in worship. You know, like just to share a quick story, my my I had a friend who was battling addiction and it was ruining his his marriage. And and he just said to the Lord, you know, Lord. You know what? Every time I come to worship you, I'm just going to raise my hands up. I'm just going to raise my hands up. Whether I don't feel like it, whether the whether the music sucks or not, I'm going to I'm going to raise my hands up to you because I know that you're going to give me victory in my life. And God did. The Lord did. I just I just think about that I get emotional because his life's changed because because of that 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 commitment to him. You know that's that's our God and that's the power when we when we come before the Lord and seek His presence. You know when we do that and it's just it's just amazing to see just his life change. Just I knew him since high school and it just it's just powerful. But that, that's not really a part of the sermon. I just. I'm just saying is that, man, worship is powerful. When we sing, when we do that, it's just awesome. And I'm glad we get to do that tonight. And um, back to the message. But if you, if you guys have been here last, this last few weeks, we were in this passage. We're in uh, Daniel. It's kind of this strange book. It's kind of awkward because there's all these visions and dreams and these animals and that, that kind of makes us Western Christians uncomfortable when things get weird like that. We don't really understand the things of the Spirit or, or even, you know, because if we can't put it under a microscope and see it, we don't really believe it in our culture. And so this stuff is just, it's really kind of out there. And so if you feel awkward, if you feel like this is just strange, you're in the right place. and That's all right, you know. It, it, is, it is a strange book. But uh, tonight's passage really piggybacks off of Jeremy's. A message, so if you if you weren't here last week, then you're out of luck. And you're, no, I'm just seizing But uh, I just wanted to give you guys a just a quick quick refresher, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do a little pop quiz. And so, if you guys remember, there was two animals last week. Can anybody name one of the animals involved? You just shout it out. There was a ram, and does anybody remember what nation that represented? Anybody? The, starts with, yeah, the Persians, the Persians. And then there was a, see, there's a ram. I wanted to show a picture of it because, you know, I think when we think rams, we don't think they're very scary, but that thing would, it would probably mess you up. And so, but there was another animal. Anybody remember that that second animal? A goat. I got a picture of a goat up there. And uh, what nation did that represent? Starts with a G. Greece, yeah, olive oil, and that kind of. And they even talked about these horns as well. You know, with the, there these strange little horns that would pop out of these animals. And uh, we kind of talked about Alexander the Great, uh, some of his generals, and even this guy named Antiochus, who was this kind of this antichrist figure. And if you remember last week, the ram was charging. The ram was. It said the ram was charging west, north, and south, and no animal could stand it. It just did whatever he wanted. Until the goat came on the scene. And do you guys remember what the goat did to the ram? It just destroys it, right? It just, it just throws it down and tramples on it in this, in this vision. And so really, it's, just, it's what's going to happen in the future. Alexander the Great, this young man in his 20s, conquers the known world. He conquers Persia before the age of 33. He does that. It's pretty amazing. I'm, I'm turning 29 soon this year, and I'm like, I haven't conquered the world yet, what, what am I doing with my life, and so, except for in risk, I like that game, and I, I conquered in that game, and so, <laughs> well, that's, just, that's just me, side note, but, uh, but tonight what we're going to see is that, uh, we're going to see the in- interpretation of this, you know, Daniel's receiving this, and he's confused, he doesn't get all this stuff that's happening, and so it, it's all right, if we're confused, it's okay, because Daniel, who was a really wise and, and intelligent dude, he was confused as well, And in fact, uh, an angel is going to be sent to him to explain what he's seeing. And so tonight, if you guys, um, if you feel comfortable, you may stand as I just read this first passage. And we just stand here to uh, revere God, if you're able. And we're in chapter 8, going through verses 15, starting with 15. It says, While I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, there stood before me someone who appeared to be a man. I heard a human voice calling from the middle of the Uli. Gabriel, explain the vision to this man. So he approached where I was standing. When he came near, I was terrified and fell face down. Let us pray. Father, Lord, I thank you, God, that we can be gathered first of all, Lord. And I pray that as I pray, your people will be praying, Lord, to receive a word from you, God, a word of encouragement, Lord, A uh, even a word of hope or whatever that they need, God, that you would give that to them, Lord. And I just pray that your spirit be here with us, God, just teaching us the truth, Lord, to impact our lives. And all God's people said, amen. So Daniel sees this angel and he's terrified. And I just want to kind of a, a quick little warm up for fun in your groups i have this question up there it says when was the last time you you were terrified when was the last time you were you were afraid or, or terrified and you can just talk about that in your groups just to maybe a story or something and i'm going to share a quick story after you guys are done all right give you guys about two minutes About one minute, one minute. All right, you guys can start wrapping it up. All right. So maybe, maybe you saw a spider. Maybe, maybe your nightlight went out and you got a little bit scared. Or, yeah, I don't know about this lightning. This lightning that came, that was kind of freaky. It was, it was really loud near my house. I forget how, I forget how loud that is and how intimidating a lightning bolt can be. I wouldn't want to be. Outside, but um, I just want to kind of get us in this place thinking about what it'd been like for Daniel to see an angel because it's a scary thing. You know, it was funny because um, he he actually spent the night in the lion's den, right? He was he was among lions, and I remember Dustin's message. You know, maybe he he wasn't even afraid. Maybe he even used a lion as a pillow that night because the Spirit of God was with him. But when he sees an angel, he reacts differently. It scares him. And if you go read throughout the Bible, whenever someone sees an angel, it's it's almost like a traumatic thing. You know, when when this angel appears before the tomb of Jesus, it says these soldiers become like dead men. They just almost want to just die. And it's a terrifying experience. And I remember just being a young believer, just thinking, man, it'd be cool to see an angel. But after reading a little bit, like... I'm good. No, thanks. <laughs> I don't need to see that. But the cool part that I wanted to say is that in the Old Testament, they didn't have the indwelling spirit. You know, in the new covenant today, we have the indwelling spirit. You know, the, the spirit is going to, it teaches us, it, it it teaches us and helps us understand spiritual truths. That's what it really does. And I'm, I'm amazed when I go to other churches and you, you know, you're out of town, you go to another church and you, and you check it out and And it's like they almost are like, it's almost like coming home because they're teaching the same thing. The worship is very similar. It's not like something different. I'm just amazed at just the spirit of God. It's like, it's not like, it almost be like, you know, our church and their church is communicating, but really not. It's kind of freaky if you guys ever have ever done that. But in this case with Daniel, he didn't have that, you know, and and he was confused. And the Lord, he didn't want Daniel to be confused. So he sends his angel ...which nearly gives him a heart attack. So be glad we have the Spirit. But uh, I just want to read this in Corinthians. It talks about the Spirit. It says, "...for who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have not received the Spirit of the world... ...but the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom but, but, but taught by the Spirit." interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So that's what's what's pretty neat, is that we have that. And and Daniel didn't really get that, so he had to see the angel. And so the angel's going to speak to him in verse 17. He says, Son of man, he said to me, understand that the vision refers to the time of the end. While he was speaking to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Then he touched me made me stand up and said, I'm here to tell you what will happen at the conclusion of the time of wrath because it refers to the appointed time of the end. So he's he's beginning to explain this complicated vision to him. And the phrases that I want to bring out of that, there's two things I want to bring out of that, is when he talks about time of the end. If you were to go on Google and type in time of the end, you'll probably come across some weird prophet, prophetic website that talks about the end times and whatever. You know, this president's the Antichrist or whoever. You, you just find a bunch of weird stuff online. I don't recommend it. But the, the interesting thing is that when we're reading literature like Daniel or Revelation even, that sometimes the time of the end actually means time of fulfillment. I think I have a slide up there. It, it's, a, it's a time of fulfillment, meaning it's concerning... Um, the end of this prophecy or a certain prophecy and i didn 't know that you know whenever I just see, read time of the end sometimes you just think oh it 's the it 's the end of the age but that 's not the case uh, in tonight 's passage and so it doesn't it doesn 't necessarily coincide with the end of the age but it does sometimes foreshadow it and so I just wanted you guys to know that so that as you 're reading passages in the Bible that um, you know you may not be you might be freaked out or something but some some of those things are just for that portion and the second thing that i want i want us to know is that the time of wrath it's kind of confusing but he says that um verse 19 says i'm here to tell you what will happen at the conclusion of the time of wrath that kind of sounds freaky but what the time of wrath is referring to it's referring to kind of this rebellion against god there's this rebellion against God. There's a, even with Israel, there's this broken covenant with the Lord. And if you remember, if you've, if you've ever read the Bible from front cover to back, the Lord makes a covenant with Israel. And in that covenant, there's, there's blessings, but there's also curses as well. And he says in Leviticus 26, this is a curse that uh, when Israel turns their back on the Lord, he says, I will set my face against you. And you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you. And you shall flee when one pursues you. And in spite of this, you will not listen to me. When I discipline you again sevenfold for your sins. That sounds kind of harsh. It sounds really harsh. But what Yahweh, what God wanted with Israel was for them to be a lighthouse for the world. A nation of priests. And when, when they're not in this relationship with God, we're not, when they break their covenant relationship with the Lord, not only are they going to be harmed, but the Lord's going to be harmed. Not the Lord, but the world's going to be harmed. The world's going to be a darker place. In Exodus 34, 6-7, it says, Yahweh is compassionate and gracious slow to anger, rich in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving wrongdoing, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's wrongdoing on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. And I bring up that passage because if you just even compare, I underlined some things on that, but if you just were to look at all the attributes of God compassionate gracious slow to anger, faithful love truth faithful love and then look at that last part not leaving the guilty unpunished I've kind of come to this place now where I think is God more loving than he than he is wanting to show wrath because there's people out there that say that it's equal right they say that God is he's loving but he has to he has to you know, he has to punish. And I've kind of come to this place where I look at it and I see, you know what? I think God, he'd rather show mercy on someone. He'd rather show, give somebody another chance than, for, than to condemn him, than to, to pour out his wrath on them. And if you remember just Jeff's sermon on Sunday, you know, there's this guy, this robber on the cross. You know, he he deserved it. He knew he deserved to be crucified. And yet, even while he was on the cross... He asked Jesus, "Remember me," and Jesus forgave him. Isn't that isn't that offensive? Almost in a sense, like, wait a minute, this guy lived a life as a as a thief or a rebel, and the last moment when he's on the cross, you know, he knows he's going to die. The Lord forgives him. You know, he's not going to he's going to die. He's not going to get a, go to he's not going to get a chance to turn his life around, to witness to somebody or go to church. He's he's going to die, and the Lord saves him. I don't know about you guys, but I've had friends tell me, you know what? Your God's ridiculous, you know, because he's a God that will forgive a a criminal or a guy in death row who who just asks for salvation, who repents. And they're like, what kind of God does that? Like, that's not right. But that's our God. He'll save anybody. He'll save a guy in death row. He'll save... He saves you and me. And I just wanted you guys to see just who our God is. Just his nature, his loving nature of wanting to show compassion, wanting to show mercy. Because, you know, when we read this scripture, it just sounds all bad. But I want us to look at this is who our God is. And just as we're talking about this, you know, we can't talk about this without talking about covenant, which is what I wanted to share tonight. You know, uh, the Germans, the German scholarship, they they say that covenant, you know, which is like an agreement, they say that covenant, they define it in legal terms, like a contract. You know, so it's like God is making a contract with Israel, or God, Jesus is making a contract with the church. And so really, covenant is just really the, syn- the synonym for law or obligation, right? You know, for example, a contract is something that, when you say, oh, this is yours over there, and and that's mine. You know, you do this, and I'll do that. That's what really, that's what a contract is, but I want to say that our covenant with God is not a contract. A covenant is more like, I am yours, and you are mine. I'm yours, and you are mine. If it doesn't make sense, uh, a married couple... You know, they're not, they were uh, not married yet, but, uh, you know, she, the, the, the bride was telling the groom, you know what, you know, I'm going to give my 50% if you give your 50%. And he kind of thought about that, and he's like, wait a minute. He's like, you know what, that's not going to work. He's like, I'm going to give you my 100%. I'm going to give you my 100% because I know this relationship is not going to work if, if, if all you're giving is 50% and all I'm giving is 50%. You know, and I think we do that sometimes. You know, I've, I'm not married or whatnot, but you see that sometimes in relationships where a marriage just becomes a legal contract. You take all the trash this many times and I'll do this. Or you do that, you do that. It's just, it, it, it just becomes counting the wrongs. You know, that's what it becomes. It's not like I'm going to give you my 100% and you're going to give me my 100%. And what I'm trying to say is that that's God. That's the covenant we have with the Lord. The Lord is saying, I'm giving you my 100%. You know, even even if you give me back 5% or 10%, he's like, I'm giving you my 100%. I'm putting myself out on the line for you. That's my covenant with you. And I I just really wanted to share that tonight because I think we we get confused and we think God's not for us or God doesn't really want to answer my prayer to do this for me. You know, we we think that God is like he's, he wants to hold back or that he just wants to, you know, discipline us or show his wrath on that. And so I just just felt like I should share that, you know, but... um, Sorry, I went on a totally I went on a, a bunny trail right there. That's all right. Somebody told me that they like it when I do that. But anyways, this this angel Gabriel explains this vision and it's it's just getting worse and worse. It's just it's getting really bad. And so in verse 20 says he's this two horned ram that you saw represents the, the kings of media and Persia. The shaggy goat represents the king of Greece, and the large horn between his eyes represents the first king, which was Alexander, which we talked about, and the four horns that took the place of the shattered horn represent four kingdoms. They will rise from that nation, but without his power and so if you were here last week, Jeremy spoke kind of in detail about this political and geographical uh, elements of these nations of, of Persia just he showed a map of their of how you know big they were, and also he showed he talked a little bit about Alexander the Great and how how much of the world he had conquered, which I think is impressive. Even to walk that far would be hard, but he fought all over the world and and did so much. But that's what he talked about last week. I don't want to get too much. I want to kind of talk about a little bit about the social implications of that. You know, for instance, the Medes in Persia and Persians. Israel had some level of uh, religious freedom. It was actually Cyrus of Persia that allowed them to return to Jerusalem and build the temple and to worship Yahweh, I don't know if you guys remember that in the scripture, but that's a it's a really neat story that he would allow to do that. The Lord used them to allow them to return to that. But under Alexander the Great, this this neck the next guy that's coming, he was a bit different because not only did he want to conquer the world, but he want, also wanted to spread. Greek culture and language. And scholars call this Hellenism. And what this Hellenization threatened to do is that... It threatened Israel as a distinct people. Because they had their distinct language, their, their traditions, their customs... And their, they worshipped one God, Yahweh. And so when what happened is that this Greek language... It started to supplant the Hebrew language... So much that the Jews that, who, were, who were born abroad... That they they couldn't even read the scriptures in Hebrew anymore. They couldn't do it, and also the language, the languages. If you think about it, they also convey cultural ideals and practices. And so, to the dismay of many devout Jews, they they started seeing that these Greek ways of thinking and acting started to kind of dominate the society. And I just I, I read a text about how. There was a, There was one point where even the priests and people that serve God in the temple, that uh, they they would rather at one point they would kind of rather go to this place called the gymnasium, which is kind of their sporting arena. They would rather go there and watch these sporting events than to serve God at, at the temple. You know, because the Greeks were really into their sports. They're really into the even the the physique, the body, really kind of into that. Which you know, surprisingly, we're definitely influence we have a lot of greek thinking in our society we've adopted a lot of that so that that was kind of happening and so they kind of started seeing this they were losing all of that all their distinctiveness and what's crazy is that for them it was a negative but for the new testament church we just studied in acts it was a positive because the gospel started to be started to be able to go around the world because they would they would translate or write it in Koine Greek. And so people could all around the world could read Paul's letters or or the Gospels even. And so this negative was actually turned into a positive by the, by God. And so that's what Alexander does. You know, he he wanted to bring that kind of the, superior, the superiority of the Greek culture and um, the languages to the world and kind of change that. But unfortunately, if you think Alexander was bad, there's an even worse guy. It deals with this Antichrist figure named Antiochus IV, Epiphanes, which means manifestation. He thought he was a, a manifestation of, of God. And we're going to read about him right here. And I just underlined some of the stuff that he does. This is near the end of their kingdoms, when the rebels have reached the full measure of their sin, kind of that day of wrath. An insolent king, skilled in intrigue, will come to the throne. His power will be great, but it will not be his own. He will cause terrible destruction and succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy the powerful along with the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper through his cunning and by his his influence. And in his own mind, he will make himself great. He will destroy many in a time of peace. He will even stand against the prince of princes, yet he will be shattered, not by human hands. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true. Now you must seal up the vision because it refers to many days in the future. So this is talking about Antiochus IV, the fourth epiphanies, which we spoke about last week. is known as the madman by The Jews—they called him the Madman because of all the the stuff that he did. He's he's a guy that murdered his own brother brother to gain power. He he becomes master of Egypt and invades Jerusalem without any cause or any sort of warning. He subjugates the Jewish people. He desecrates the temple by sacrificing a pig, even making them eat pig flesh, which is not kosher. Wasn't uh, according to their religion. He enters the Holy of Holies, a place where only the high priest could enter once a year. He, he goes into that. He steals the temple treasure. He steals all the gold in the temple to finance his military campaign. And he's just, he just really bent on wiping away any sort of Jewish identity, any sort of religious Jewish identity. He, that was his prerogative, as he would say. And so you, you really can't get any more antichrist than that. You really can't. And the thing I want to talk about is what an antichrist is. An antichrist is someone that's an antagonist of God and His people. You know, it, it's someone that even can even do, like in Revelation, is someone that, that's going to do false miracles. They're going to someone that deceives other people. Someone that discourages the worship of God. Someone that persecutes. God's people. And there's not just simply, I think sometimes when we read apocalyptic scripture, we just think of one antichrist. But in Matthew twenty four twenty four, it says, for false Christs and false, false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. And so this guy, was a, uh, he was an antichrist, but there's also many of them. Throughout the ages, you know, people... If you just just look at the characteristics of that and just even think of people in this last century who embodied that. You know, we get stuck on trying to predict who's going to be this one Antichrist figure that's going to come and do all this. But I really think that we need to kind of look out for those who exhibit that, in a sense. And so you might ask, you've probably received a lot of bad news. This night is kind of a... I know this message may seem like a downer because all it is is just negative, negative, negative. And, you know, a lot of us don't need any more negativity than what we already get in our media or Facebook or whatever. But he gets a lot of bad news. But the good news is that Jesus says that those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. And verse 25 says, he will stand against the prince of princes, stand against God. Yet he'll be shattered, not by human hands. So what happens to Antiochus? He prospers for a little while. But Judea is so enraged that five sons of a priest the Maccabees, they actually lead a revolt. And through many decisive victories, actually regain their independence for a while until the Roman Empire comes. But the, the death of Antiochus, the, some account, they, the accounts say different things. They say, one that says that he was struck with a, a mental disease. One says that he died suddenly of a physical disease. I remember even reading one thing where it says he was riding, riding back to lead another campaign against Jerusalem, but he fell off his chariot and died of worms. There's a lot of different accounts, but the idea is that his life was cut short. And so if you're, if you're, if you're thinking about a career and Conquering the world or being an antichrist, it's not going to pay off for you. Both Alexander and him, their lives were cut short, so that's not a good idea. Not a good idea at all. But. Daniel, uh, uh, a righteous man, imagine seeing all this. Imagine just seeing a vision of our country here being destroyed. About A vision of being invaded or even our languages and traditions or our worship just being destroyed. I think it would, it would make all of us upset. It would, it would make us all distraught. And that's what happens with Daniel. He sees all this evil and destruction. He barely even understands it. And in verse 27, he says, I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was greatly disturbed by the vision, and I could not understand it. He was overcome by this. He didn't want to see this. God's people, God's people, not, they're breaking their covenant relationship with him. Just this evil, all these evil conquerors coming in, nearly wiping out God's people. God's, the worship of Yahweh. I think it's enough to make anybody sick. But the question for us tonight, I really wanted us to to get to this point is when you read all this negativity, all this history, all this bad that's going to happen, I wanted to, want to ask you this question about today. And you can talk about in your groups. I have this question that says, does history shape us or do we shape it? So talk in your groups. What is your opinion? Does, does history shape us or do we shape it? So go ahead. about one more minute. All right, you guys may kind of wrap it up. We're kind of coming to a close here. So does does history shape us or do we shape it? Does history shape us or do we shape it? You know, I'm going to pull Jeremy Kay's on this one. The answer is yes. The answer is yes to both of those. I think I heard somebody say that. The answer is yes. You know what? Because think about our values, our traditions, the wars that were fought, even in our country, the, the influences that we have of media or, you know, our schools or even where we live, geographic location. That stuff shapes us. History shapes us big time. You know, even in our Western culture, the, the King James Bible really influenced some of the founding fathers to even come up with some of the rights and some of the ideas of of liberty you know or human human rights that, that those things shape us but to say that to say that we don't have an opportunity to shape history to shape the present with our lives is false we have the ability with god to shape our current right now we're we're actually making history right now with our lives for good Or bad and that's scary because that's a huge responsibility that god has given us not only individually but as a church you know and i know you know i I keep up with theology and i know what people say about god's sovereignty god's will he's going to do whatever he wants to do but we're included in this picture we're not just these pawns that have no that really are just you know have no purpose or nothing to do god is shaping history through us, whether good or bad. You know, you, this whole whole uh, passage has been negative, you know, because God's people really, they forsaked Him. They rebelled against Him. And so this, the world had fallen in the darkness. You know, and if you don't necessarily believe me, you know, I, I hope you have an open mind. I know that for some it's just, that might be a shock. But I read this passage in Ezekiel, and it says... And I searched for a man among them, I searched for a man or someone among them who should build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found nobody. I underline it, I says, I found nobody. Thus I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their way I have brought upon their head, declares the Lord God. You see the heart of God in that passage. He didn't want to destroy. He wanted to show mercy, but he found nobody. Isn't that sobering? That's that's a crazy. When I read that, it, it blew my mind because wait a minute. what if somebody would have stood up? If somebody would say, God, I'm 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 here. Use me. Yeah. Yes, you're right. And Second Chronicles. And Second Chronicles says... Yeah. Second Chronicles says... You know, if you guys watch the, the movie War Room, it says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. And I will forgive their sins and heal their land. You guys see that? It doesn't say God might. It doesn't say he... Maybe we'll do it. He says he will do it. And that's why I talked about covenant. Because God is 100% into this. He's 100% into the church. He's 100% for you and me. But the question is. What is our response? How much do we want it? And there's this guy. Lou Angle. I've been following. This guy I've been following, this is what he says about history. He says, you know inside that you were created for something more. Dare to believe that God could change history through your life. God can change history through our life. I think that's why there's a distraction right now. Because maybe God doesn't want someone to hear that. That your life matters. Your prayers matter. Your worship matters. Coming to church matters. Your devotional life matters. It all—it all means something. It's not just—it's just not. It, it's not just worthless. It's not just—it's not gonna—it's gonna be effective. You know, and I think like, what happens if we really believe that? Because I'm thinking, you know, even this week, the Lord told me as I was writing down some dreams, He told me He's like, you know what, your, your dreams aren't big enough. And I was like, what? I thought they were, you know, they seen, you know I was almost offended because I was like, Lord, I think these are pretty sizable dreams. But he said, they're not big enough for me. And it almost took me aback because maybe there's a part of me that doesn't realize how much God is for me. How, how he wants to answer my prayers, my dreams, my hopes. And so tonight, as I don't know where you guys are at tonight, maybe some of you feel like you're just floating along. Maybe some of you are just in a a period of dryness. You know, there there is times of uh, pruning and times of where it feels like you're in the desert. But I just want to encourage us tonight is that, you know, your life and what you do for God matters. It really does. It can change not only you. It can change your family just in, you know. Maybe you grew up in a a terrible family, and just by you coming to church and and you serving God, you could change your whole your whole generational line. It can completely change, and so that's that's my heart. You know, that's my heart for the church is to see us together believing that we could change Camarillo. Because I even thought about the other day. I'm like, you know what? Just this last thing. What if, what if J Rod, you know, our, our pastor, our head pastor, what, what if he never turned his life around or repented in that jail cell? What, what if, what if he never picked up that Bible and read it? We wouldn't even be here in this room. I wouldn't even know you guys. We wouldn't have these relationships. That's just one person that decided to, to serve God. And and at the time when he when he when he got, you know, you heard you heard his story. He just he started off at a church, just putting signs out, cleaning the restrooms. One guy. One the one guy is the reason why we're all here. And so just I just wanted you to think about. It, but let's just close in prayer and pray together that you know that we God would use us. Lord, Father, I just pray for your spirit of hope, Lord, upon us, God. Lord, I know that all we hear is bad news in our world today, God. All we hear is bad news and negativity, Father. And Lord, I know some of us are scared. We don't know what's going to happen. We're worried about even the election, God, or what, what's just those things run rampant in our mind, Father. But Lord, I pray that you would breathe hope into us, God. That we, can, that we can change, Lord, that our, our, the path that this country is going, Lord, is not set, that you can intervene and, and do a radical change, Lord, that you could pour out your spirit on all flesh, Lord. And I just pray that you just waken your, your church, Father. You waken us, Lord, you show us what, what can we do? What prayer should we, be, would, we would we be praying, Lord? What, how should worship look like, Father? And I just pray, God, that you just, that everybody would know, Lord, that you're so for them. God, for us to dream bigger, Lord. And Lord. Yes, Lord, I just pray that, God, I just feel like. I'm. that you would remove anything, Lord, that keeps us from believing that. Lord, any lie of the enemy, God, any past experience. Lord, that you just remove that, God. That we could just start fresh tonight just believing, God, you're for me. And if you need to say that underneath your breath right now, just say that. God, you're for me. You're for me, Father. God, you're not going to give me a stone when I ask for bread. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And all God's people said, amen.